0: These comments will deal with social and cultural perspectives on the study of psychology and multicultural psychology in particular. The latter is the topic of Moganum's chapter 18. The former is Benson's uh, topic in pages 131 to 135. I'll start uh, with a bit just from the Benson uh, point of view. Studying psychological phenomena from a social, from a cultural perspective, is what we mean by normative science, what Mogunum called a normative science. Looking at a social and cultural perspective means looking for the norms of a particular society, the norms of a particular culture, and looking to those uh, norms for the explanation of behaviors that we see among members of that uh, society. It means looking at the beliefs uh, of the people the values that they hold, both individually and communally, the meanings that they assign to different events, situations, actions, and so forth. Again, both individually and and shared amongst the community members. Mogadam poses this early in the book as an alternative to causal science. And while there's a sense in which that's uh, certainly true, I think the real opposition is to uh, the reductionist biological uh, explanations. I don't mean by that that biology and normative uh, approaches will always give us different answers. I think we do need to look at both. But many times in psychology, psychologists who work from one of these points of view uh, never enters into the other point of view. And there are often uh, sort of status disputes with uh, biological reductionist approaches typically having more status within the discipline than the uh, normative approaches. And this is because of their connection with causal science, so that's in the sense in which Mogadon's distinction is appropriate. When we talk about beliefs, values, uh, meanings, then we're going to talk as well about uh, socialization. There's going to be a concern with how do the beliefs, values, and meanings within a culture get passed on, uh, to new members of that culture. When people talk about culture, they, they're thinking about characteristic ways of adapting uh, to environments. Uh, people in one culture faced with a variety of environmental situations, and they adapt to them in characteristic fashion. And they uh, introduce the children of that society into those means of adapting to the environment. For a long time, psychologists who were studying culture, thought of culture as an independent variable. It's almost as though the uh, infant coming into a particular culture is thought of as having ex- uh, experiencing a an experimental treatment. I think this was uh, largely behaviorist, it influenced the uh, ideas that um, the child is pushed and pulled by the uh, environment, by the the cultural environment, in the same way as by any stimulus uh, situation. So the culture is seen as outside pushing and pulling uh, the individuals within it. But um, the work of Vygotsky resulted in uh, a great change in the conception of uh, culture. Vygotsky saw people sharing practices, sharing meanings, and he thought of those uh, meanings as somehow being internalized that the child has to enter into these practices enter into these meanings so certainly they they exist in the environment uh, but they also exist within the, the people themselves, they take them on in some way and this is what his ideas about uh, the zone of proximal development and scaffolding were about, he wanted to understand the processes by which people internalized uh, the culture. And once the culture begins to become internalized, then the idea is that all of our psychological processes are influenced by those uh, cultural aspects, that is, by the meanings, the beliefs and the values that we've internalized. So, from a normative science point of view, when we ask, what's the cause of that behavior? Why do we act that particular way? The information we have to have is about beliefs, about values, meanings, the intentions of the person that's based in those beliefs, values, and meanings. Some psychologists who use culture in their work uh, are interested in the differences from one culture to another and have attempted to uh, lay out a number of dimensions upon which cultures might differ one from another. Now, one of these people mentioned by Benson is uh, Hofsted. He, uh, Benson, gives uh, four dimensions. I've given you a link where you can read about these and you'll see that uh, actually Hofstede's work, he's added a fifth one as well. But the four that are given in your text, power distance, a culture could vary according to the uh, importance that they give to status differences within the culture. Uh, One culture could give a lot of importance to this, and there would be uh, rituals of respect, uh, deference shown to people according to their status. Uh, Another culture could have very little uh, attention paid uh, to this. Well, this is a kind of thing with each of these uh, dimensions, uh, some cultures could be very high, some cultures could be very low uh, with respect to them. Uh, The one that's probably uh, most frequently mentioned is the individualism versus collectivism. We've talked about that before, and in fact, I gave you a diagram or a chart uh, earlier on in the course from Hofstede's work ranking different countries according to where they stood with respect to individualism and collectivism. If you follow the link that I've given you here, you can find uh, similar sorts of rankings of countries on all of the dimensions that uh, has laid out. Uh, Here I'll only mention a couple of methodological issues. You can read about these on the link as well. But I want to take just a minute with these. Uh, First of all, when you're trying to characterize a culture, um, this leads to the idea that everybody within the culture is the same, and that's clearly not the case. Uh, One of the things that Mogadam uh, raises is a concern that when psychologists go off doing their research in different countries trying to make comparisons, they often uh, make use of university students. And it may be that uh, university students across the world uh, are much more similar to one another than are non-university educated people within uh, the countries. Also, many countries are like Canada, they're made up of very diverse uh, people uh, and So to say that the culture as a whole is a particular way won't necessarily capture everybody within that uh, culture. It's the same ideas talking about averages, and not everybody is is average. Uh, Secondly, there's a concern with uh, the methods. Uh, Too often, I think, the methods are uh, carryovers from standard psychology using questionnaires, And again, Moganum has made clear that questioners have a great number of problems, both of reliability and validity. The ability of people to answer the questions accurately. uh, I've mentioned before in one of the other commentaries that when we were talking about personality traits, uh, even the fact that just because people can answer a question doesn't mean that the information that you get from it uh, means the same thing. Uh, for that person as it did for others who tried to answer that question, Uh, translating a question from one language to another so that you can ask it in different countries. It doesn't mean that the meaning will translate along uh, with it. Another concern is one raised by Benson that uh, cultures don't stay stable. Uh, Cultures change and uh, consequently these dimensions may change. For instance, at the moment, Uh, There's a great deal of concern and interest in the world in globalization processes. Uh, The idea that many cultures are changing in the direction of North American uh, beliefs and values. With respect to the methodological uh, aspects of this, I think that uh, the psychologists who borrow from the anthropologists uh, are doing a a good thing. The anthropologists are not, uh, not likely to use questionnaires anthropologists take the approach of uh, the participatory action research that we talked about um, going even further than Cosgrove and Flynn. Cosgrove and Flynn went to the uh, homeless shelter and talked to the women there about the problems they were having there. Uh, The anthropological approach would be to go and live in the shelter yourself uh, for a while. Bring your kids along with you and live there as a homeless mother yourself for a while. Uh, Barbara Ehrenreich is a journalist who I mentioned once before, uh, who's tried this with respect to trying to live on minimum wage, for instance. Margaret Mead is the anthropologist mentioned by Benson, uh, who lived for many years in a number of different cultures in order to try to uh, understand them from deep within the culture itself. Benson mentions Harry Triandis as another psychologist who's important in the area of cultural psychology. Uh, he mentions in particular three dimensions that Triandis has laid out for um, differences, dimensions for difference among cultures. Uh, he calls them cultural syndromes. I've linked you to an article by Triandis in which he reviews the history of uh, culture and psychology working uh, together. He talks a good deal in the article about the dimension of individualism and collectivism. But he downplays the notion of uh, cultural syndromes in general, saying that uh, this has become a bit passé, sort of reached its peak around the year 2000, he says. What uh, he imagines going forward in this area is uh, that people may well study religion a great deal more because he feels that uh, in religion we see some of the universal characteristics of humans. Uh, much like Haidt, he uh, suggests that there's something within humans that uh, prompt them towards the spiritual or religious uh, dimension. And uh, consequently, we can see some of the characteristics that are universal across culture by looking in that area. But let me point you to this. This is a nomothetic emphasis. It's saying that the purpose of psychology is to find uh, the universals. And not everybody agrees with this. And it's one of the, uh, the problems uh, in the general area of how we deal with culture uh, in psychology. So I'm going to come back to that uh, in a moment. I wanted to add here, though, that uh, another person who's looked at uh, dimensions, uh, different differentiated uh, cultures, is Height uh, himself, that he hasn't been particularly interested in looking across cultures in the sense of different countries or different uh, geographic locations in the world. Uh, For him, the cultural differences, what he's referred to several times as the culture wars uh, within the United States. Uh, And this is the war or distinction between the conservative culture and the liberal culture. So this is another kind of uh, culture that you could be within a country, you could be within the American culture, broadly speaking, but still have differences between liberal and conservative Americans. And in fact, these uh, differences have been so strong that uh, since around the time of Ronald Reagan being president of the U.S., we've had this thing we refer to as the culture wars uh, between the conservatives and the liberals. Heights uh, dimensions, he mentioned in the video that I've uh, shown you right at the beginning of the course. I mentioned it uh, just recently in one of the other commentaries. White refers to five dimensions that uh, distinguish the way in which we make uh, moral uh, decisions. Uh, Care for others, uh, protecting them from harm. Fairness and justice is another dimension. Uh, Being loyal to your group, your family, for instance, uh, is another. Uh, Respect for tradition, uh, respect for legitimate authority is another. And uh, purity, avoiding disgusting things. Uh, Avoiding Disgusting Actions is a fifth. Haidt says that uh, everybody is concerned with these to some extent, uh, but liberals tend to be concerned with the first two much more than conservatives are. When making decisions, they often think about social justice issues, uh, for instance, whereas uh, conservatives may not uh, put that so high and be more concerned about how the action affects the loyalty to a group or respects a tradition. Conservatives give uh, more attention than liberals do to these last three. Again, everybody is concerned with all five dimensions to some extent. It's the relative importance of them uh, that Height says distinguishes between the conservative culture and the liberal culture. For more information about uh, the idea of culture wars, I've given you a link here you can follow up. And if you're interested in heights dimensions, you can go back and have a look at his uh, TED talk uh, video. Another connection between culture and psychology that's not mentioned by either Benson, uh, or M- Moganum, but I've uh, talked a bit about it at the beginning of the course, is I think it's important to see psychology itself as a cultural product. What I mean by this is that psychology has been constructed. It's been constructed by Western European and North American uh, societies. That culture has found a way to think about the problems uh, that people within that culture experience. Psychologists have sorted out a way and the thinking about uh, these problems. It's a scientific approach. And they've developed that And they lay it out. It's like an object that they've constructed. And it's useful within the culture. Now, of course, uh, most psychologists also present it not only as useful, but as true. But that's the the desire. Scientifically, we're looking for the causes, uh, behavior, thoughts, emotions. And uh, we're going to find those and we'll have the one true Uh, understanding of these phenomena, But it remains the case that this is a construction from a particular point of view. And it's an example of what Benson calls ethnocentrism, to think that psychology, as we've produced it, is necessarily uh, the only way of conceptualizing uh, human nature, human interaction, human situations, uh, and so forth. Psychologists who take the more anthropological uh, methodology and go around from uh, culture to culture uh, are likely to encounter uh, what we might call indigenous uh, psychologies. That is, within a particular culture, there are people who are designated as uh, healers, uh, for instance, and they have a theory of how um, disease works and how mental disorder works, and what even a mental disorder uh, might be. A difference, though, between the person who's sort of a cross-cultural psychologist and a person who's interested in indigenous psychologies, the cross-cultural psychologist is typically looking for universals, things that uh, are true across all of the cultures. Whereas the person studying indigenous psychologies is very interested in that local Uh, Area in that local culture and the way that the conceptualization uh, takes place there, and particularly the fit between uh, the disorders, the problems uh, within that society, and the solutions that have been found within the indigenous psychology uh, framework. An interesting book that uh, I give you a link uh, to here is called Crazy Like Us, and it's written uh, by uh, Ethan Waters. And he has the idea that more and more uh, the conceptions of psychological problems that we have in North America are extending out into other parts uh, of the world. The subtitle of his book is The Globalization of the American Psyche. And I'm just reading a bit off of the cover. It Crazy Like Us is a blistering, Uh, report and analysis uncovering America's role in homogenizing how the world defines wellness and healing. Waters argues, for example, that the concept of depression, which makes a great deal of sense in uh, North American uh, culture, is now popping up all over the world in places where people had never heard of depression before and had never interpreted their behavior, their actions, their feelings. In, in such terms so that this notion of what it means to be well what it means to be healthy what kinds of disorders one experience are being taken up all over the world now if it's true that is if these disorders uh, are 100% that's the way it is they're physiologically based and if our North American sense of wellness is, in fact, the correct way to think of wellness, again, physiologically based, then these things might make some sense. But to the extent that uh, cultural values, meanings, beliefs are involved, then it makes more sense to use the terms uh, like are on the cover of the book, the homogenization of these ideas. It's a loss of cultural uh, diversity. And it's the relative benefits of cultural diversity, uh, the maintenance of these and the loss of these, that's at the heart, I think, of multicultural uh, psychology. Mogadam organizes his chapter around the idea of managing uh, cultural uh, diversity. I think um, maintaining that diversity would be uh, one aspect or one goal that one might have in managing it. But uh, what he has in mind is that uh, diversity in uh, cultures becomes problematic when the cultures mix. That uh, groups uh, clearly form around the culture, and then we have conflict and bias uh, in the the setting. Uh, One question that's interesting to pursue is whether differences naturally problematic. That is, there's something in human nature that makes uh, people uh, have negative reactions uh, or get their back up in the face of uh, difference. This is a kind of question that I think Height is is interested in, is whether we've evolved in such a way as to always be uh, on our guard when we we, uh, notice difference. Is that the reason, is that the origin of uh, prejudice, discrimination, stereotypes? Uh, those terms are defined uh, by uh, Mogadam, and uh, you should need to pay attention uh, to them. Make sure you can distinguish among them. But uh, each of these is different ways of talking about uh, some of the problems that arise in the multicultural multicultural settings. Morgan also says that uh, identity is a key uh, notion in this multicultural environment. And so you should keep your eyes open for how that uh, plays in. One of the things he's concerned with is, in general, how do we explain the existence of uh, intergroup uh, conflict? He's talked already, he's had an earlier chapter about uh, Freud and the idea of displaced uh, aggression. He talked there about the idea that one of the ways in which uh, groups maintain their internal uh, coherence is by uh, taking on or displacing uh, their aggression towards uh, out-groups. We cooperate more amongst uh, within our uh, in-group when we perceive ourselves as aligned against a common uh, enemy or distinguished from a common uh, other that we see in a more negative light. Toddsville's social identity theory, which Morgan talks about on page 288, has a very similar idea. It says that uh, what happens is that the individual identifies with the group, seeks to enhance uh, their self-esteem by building up uh, the group uh, to which they belong. and That social prejudice is Uh, part of that enhancement of self-esteem by discriminating against uh, the out-group. So while identity with the group has many positive features, it helps us have a sense of uh, who we are, it uh, helps us gain a sense of how we should behave, uh, gives us a sense of values, purpose, and so forth. Tajful seems to be suggesting that it also has this negative uh, aspect that uh, we seek inappropriately to build up our group in contrast to others, and consequently, uh, prejudice and discrimination, Uh, even stereotypes follow from that. And with respect to self-esteem, high self-esteem, especially this sort of uh, false self-esteem should remind you of the research by uh, Baumeister was discussed earlier and mentioned again in this chapter. where he suggests that it's exactly this high self-esteem which is the cause for many intergroup problems because that self-esteem can't be sustained in the face of practical day-to-day living and when it's deflated this is when the the time when people become angry or demonstrate prejudices discrimination and so forth now it would seem to me that um, With this background, this would be the appropriate, perfectly appropriate place for Mogan to talk about uh, what psychologists have to contribute about how to uh, deal with these intergroup conflicts, how to deal with prejudice, uh, discrimination, and so forth. And on that topic, the best known work in psychology is the uh, contact hypothesis uh, that we read about last week in the article, the, the idea that started with Gordon Allport and uh, critiqued by uh, Dixon and his colleagues. Interestingly, uh, Morganham doesn't mention it uh, at all. Uh, so I'm going to mention it. Uh, just by way of review, I've given you a link where you can read uh, quite a few different articles that I've uh, come across at various times that are relevant to the contact uh, hypothesis. So some of those may interest you. but. Uh, what we talked about uh, last week was the idea that intergroup conflict and prejudice might be reduced by increasing contact uh, between members of uh, these groups, uh, particularly contact under uh, particular certain uh, optimal conditions. You could go back to the article and review that uh, list of conditions. But uh, Dixon made the point that we need to do a good deal of uh, related research that comes at this uh, contact from a a bit different point of view. We need to understand more about how everyday contact between groups work if we're really going to find uh, realistic ways of reducing the the prejudice and discrimination. What Mokenham uh, talks about rather than the contact hypothesis is uh, the broad strategies of assimilation and uh, multiculturalism. These are Uh, almost uh, political uh, strategies, and he talks about uh, the management of the tensions between uh, various groups. How will that uh, be done? Well, certainly psychologists can contribute to that. I think the contact hypothesis and Dixon's suggestions offer a way to do that. But let's talk about um, Mogadam's comments. With respect to assimilation, we have this idea that If the differences among the groups uh, could be reduced uh, through assimilation, then the conflict would be reduced as well. And Mogadam talks about a variety of different kinds of assimilation. Uh, Will the minority groups be required to assimilate to the culture of the majority groups? This is the sort of thing I read you the quote from uh, Steve Baiko last week. He said, if that's what we're talking about, then he was absolutely opposed to it. Another form of assimilation is the melting pot uh, idea where all of the groups uh, merge their their various ideas and something new and different uh, comes out of the interactions among those groups. Mogadam expresses some skepticism about the assimilation strategy. Uh, In that context, he raises again Tajval and the minimal group paradigm, which he's mentioned before earlier in the text. But basically, the idea is that the tendency of humans to form groups, in groups and out groups, is so strong that even under the best scenario for assimilation in a melting pot sort of manner, people will find new things to make groups on and will then uh, carry on in this uh, social, social identity Uh, process to put uh, their group above uh, others. But Mogollam's not too positive about the multiculturalism uh, approach uh, either. He does give Canada due recognition for having initiated the policy, but he has a number of uh, criticisms, not all of which I would regard as uh, psychological. He seems to regard the multicultural approach as what one in which uh, cultural relativism runs rampant, and in which people will be forced against their will to continue to participate in the cultural uh, behaviors, beliefs, values, and so forth of the country uh, or culture from which they initially came. And I don't think either of those is a very accurate uh, depiction of what happens in practice or what was intended in the multicultural Culturalism policies. But let's stick with the psychological aspect for just a moment. Uh, he talks about something he calls the multiculturalism hypothesis. And this idea is that if you have a society in which there are a number of different cultures represented, then encouraging the members of each of those different cultures to follow their Maintain their cultural beliefs and practices will result in not only a positive self esteem within that group, but result in a reduction in prejudice and other kinds of negative out group interactions. He states it on page 290 when group members feel pride and confidence in their own group heritage. They will be more open and accepting toward out-groups. Now, this is certainly an idea that one could pursue. Um, Based on Todtfell's work and uh, Freud's displaced aggression idea, I wouldn't think that uh, many people would be inclined to feel that it would work this way. That Just because you built up your group, you say, okay, well, let people go with that. Take it as far as you want. Build up your pride in your group. And let's see if, you know, by really taking that to the extreme, that will take your mind off of this uh, business of discriminating against people from other groups. don't see any particular reason why uh, that would work. I don't see a mechanism uh, in there. So I wouldn't be surprised to find that on its own, uh, some sort of a policy of this sort uh, wouldn't make much uh, difference. I don't really think that Canada's multiculturalism is based on any such hypothesis. Uh, The Canadian situation involved the French, the English, the Aboriginal populations, recognizing at a certain point uh, that they were inhabiting the same land and they had to figure a way to get along. And they built a fairly unique uh, structure in the world in which they said, all right, we're all going to share this land and we're going to work out a system for how we'll interact uh, with one another, what our responsibilities to each other will be and uh, how we will uh, support those. Now, this is not to say that each of the groups has lived up to those uh, responsibilities at all times uh, through the through the decades since those agreements were made. But the system is quite uh, interesting, and quite unique, and the, I don't think there's any psychological multiculturalism um, hypothesis that, that lay behind this. It's more a matter of uh, political and practical will to gain the benefits uh, of such a cooperative arrangement. The current uh, multiculturalism policy. I think it's a natural extension of the founding uh, multiculturalism uh, policies of the country. Uh, Other groups beyond the French, English and Aboriginal now also share uh, the land. And they too, like the founding groups, are entitled to uh, maintaining the culture in which they've grown up and developed. There is a practical political problem here because aboriginal groups, and I think quite rightly, are reluctant um, to be conceptualized as just another uh, cultural group. Uh, They believe, as I say quite rightly, that they were part of the founding of the country and that their entitlements uh, through the founding of the country uh, go well beyond those that are extended to Uh, other groups that have come more recently, but in none of this discussion uh, do I see a place where the um, politicians, the representatives of the government who are forming these policies are arguing that we should have multiculturalism because if people feel good about their own group, they'll be less negative about other groups. I think that what happens is that we say, look, this is an agreement. We've all come together and we've decided this is the way we wish to live our lives. And it's on the basis of that agreement that we decide not to be negative towards the other groups. It's a shared understanding, collaborative understanding that comes as a base, on the basis of a genuine dialogue amongst the peoples. Now, I feel personally that dialogue is at the heart of the real psychological issue here. How do we create a society, particularly through what educational process in our schools, for example? How do we create citizens? How do we help students become people who can participate in dialogues about how we will choose to live with one another from any background, society, and so forth. We've chosen in Canada to say that uh, we're not going to make everybody the, the same, and therefore it will be easy to talk to one another. We've decided to maintain our cultural differences. And how in that context will we continue to be able to talk to one another? Well, if you're interested in my ideas about what psychology has to say about this and the educational system, then sign up for my uh, upper level uh, educational psychology course, uh, 3410A in the fall, Tuesday, Thursday mornings, 830. I'm happy to see you there. We have real classes in that one too. But let me take a quick look now at a couple of the uh, concerns that Morganham has. He talks about uh, the idea that in many cultures, there are there are members, individuals within the culture who would be very happy to get out of the cultural background. In fact, one of the reasons they leave their country to come to Canada is because they're discontent in a variety of ways with the culture and they want uh, change. He's talking about uh, sexism, uh, for instance, treatment of women. Uh, He gives us one of his examples. But I think it's a mistake to think that uh, Canadian multicultural policy uh, endorses uh, sexism, uh, racism or any other uh, these negative features of uh, some cultures. Now, this is definitely a tension. There are cultural practices in some uh, cultures. It's considered that the woman is the uh, husband's property and that uh, he can beat her in uh, certain circumstances to a certain degree. Well, that's simply illegal uh, in Canada. Uh, Female circumcision is practiced widely in some cultures. Uh, It's illegal uh, in Canada. Mogadam has the idea that um, multiculturalism is a culturally relative uh, doctrine. It says that, well, it says any uh, practice such as these that I've just mentioned can only be judged from within the culture itself, but I don't think that's in fact the case. That's not the the practice. I mean, that would be the extreme form of multiculturalism. But in fact, Canada's contributed has uh, contributed to the human rights uh, discussion just as much as to the multiculturalism uh, discussion. Mogadam mentions the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Well, it was a Canadian, John Humphreys who was one of the primary uh, persons responsible for the formation uh, of that document. It's certainly true that some of the basic human rights that are uh, listed in that Universal Declaration of Human Rights, I've given you a link uh, to it, um, are at odds with certain cultural practices. And that's a problem all over the world uh, today. Uh, There are uh, great battles uh, going on in some cultures, trying to preserve uh, things which uh, practices, beliefs, values that uh, people have decided uh, in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights uh, should be uh, forbidden. Now, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is itself a negotiated document. It's not like somebody went to a sacred text somewhere that had been handed down uh, by a god. This is a matter of debate. People had to decide what to include, what not to include. And so there's, uh, we're back to the dialogue aspect again. And I think dialogue is at, uh, at the heart of this. Yes, we have cultural uh, values, meaning systems, beliefs. By and large, I think it's a good idea for there to be a great deal of diversity uh, in these areas. But at the same time, some of the practices Uh, violate uh, notions of basic decency that many people across the world have. But which ones? Some of them are obvious, but others uh, may be very debatable from one group to another. Well, that's what we've got to do. We've got to get together and debate it. We've got to have dialogue. And that takes me back to the idea of education. How do you create an education system that's uh, in line Uh, with that and there are a lot of psychological questions in that that we can talk about as I say I talk about them in the upper level course. I've given you a link here to uh, a book, uh, well actually really a set of lectures that have been put together in a book uh, by uh, Michael Ignatieff. Um, You probably know the name uh, because he's the leader of the Liberal Party in Canada right now, but before he became leader of the Liberal Party in Canada, He was a very highly respected uh, academic who who wrote a great deal about uh, human rights. And in the year 2000, well before he became uh, involved in the Liberal Party politics, uh, he gave the Massey Lectures uh, here in Toronto and it was on the topic of human rights. And that book, that set of lectures, is a really excellent uh, background. Uh, to an understanding of human rights, and he talks about it very much in the Canadian context of multiculturalism. By and large, uh, the idea that I like uh, stems from my reading of another uh, Canadian political scientist, in this case, uh, Charles Taylor, is the idea that what we're seeking to do is gain some sort of a fusion of horizons. That is, that each of us and each cultural group that we're a part of sees so far on the basis of their experience and call that the horizon. Uh, from my point of view in the groups that I'm a part of, that I identify with, I see so far and I may not be able to understand why you act in a particular way you do, and you the same. You, our horizons may not overlap. Through debate, discussion, dialogue, we can bring our horizons closer together and have a more common uh, understanding. Not that we'll agree to the same practices in our daily lives, but we'll gain some sense of understanding of why uh, the others operate in the way they do. But we may decide that some aspects of this can't be tolerated, but that will have to be the subject of the debate uh, that we have, and that will have to take place under agreed principles. This is something that Ignatieff mentions as being particularly important to the Canadian situation is we've agreed not only about how we will debate, we've agreed about when we'll separate with respect to language rights in Quebec or Quebec as a whole leaving the country. We now have an agreement um, formulated by Parliament, uh, approved by the uh, Supreme Court about the conditions under which we might decide to go our separate ways. In future uh, editions of this course, I want to spend more time on this topic because I think uh, multiculturalism uh, and the psychological uh, questions that come up in that context are particularly important uh, at York University. York has got to be the most diverse campus uh, anywhere. I've never been any place. And I've never seen people describe any place that has more diversity uh, than York uh, does. There are some other Canadian schools that are pretty diverse. uh, And so in general, we say there's a great deal of diversity at the Canadian universities, but particularly at York. I think we have great opportunities for practicing ways of dialogue. I've given you a link here to just one of these possibilities. And many of you will know that uh, there are great debates on campus uh, between uh, Palestinian and Israeli uh, organized uh, groups. The link is written by uh, a man, uh, Saeed Ranim, who teaches a course on Middle Eastern politics. And he has large numbers of people from both of those groups and from many other groups who take the course. And he's universally praised. All of the students think that uh, he's amazing and compliment him on his ability to uh, handle the tensions that arise uh, in this course. And I think this is just, uh, you can read uh, the way that he runs the course and some of his ideas about how to bring people together to talk about these issues. But York is a unique uh, site for bringing people together. I think that we don't do a particularly good job on a day-to-day basis In most occasions, we come into class, we sit down next to people who are very different from ourselves, but our talk is very superficial. We don't actually get together and uh, talk in detail and get to know people uh, who are particularly different from ourselves. I think our classrooms could be real opportunities uh, for discussion, serious deep discussion about cultural differences uh, among people. And that's why in my face-to-face courses, I always have a significant section of the course devoted to small group discussion and randomized groups on important uh, culturally-based topics where people really uh, share these views and have to get into some serious discussions about uh, where to go with their, with their ideas. Okay, well, I'll leave it at that uh, for this. I wish Mogunem had done a little bit more on some of these other issues, but hopefully I've given you some ideas about where he could have gone as well as about what he means by some of the things that he does talk about.